Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me again. You are, um, is this the fourth episode that we've done together? It's at least the third. Yeah, I think it's the third. This is awesome. It's like the Beth and Kelly show. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) All right. So um, this is the Live Good, Live Well podcast. And we have Kelly Lynch on. And uh, we'll go through where to find her on the internet at the end. But uh, today... I believe we're going to talk about finding our voice. Yay. I love it. Um, So you and I probably um, have talked about this quite extensively before, Mm -hmm. but we can, uh, we can go through it again. So um, let's start with you. Um, What's your experience with that? Like, let's just dive right in. Yeah. So for me, finding my voice was all about reconnecting to who I wanted to be coming out of my divorce and learning how to recover from trauma after domestic violence. Uh, Finding my voice really meant taking as much time as I felt like was necessary to explore and understand the woman that I was before I was married, the woman that I was while I was married, and then the woman that I wanted to become after marriage. Uh, and that is it, that really involved understanding what it meant to reconnect to me, um, redefine me and the way that I wanted to move through the world, but also to be okay with what it is to take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, because especially as women, we're told to be quiet, to be polite, to be respectful, to not say anything that's going to upset anybody, to, mm-hmm. you know, to be small. Um, even in, in a, in a public transportation setting, um, men are, um, not to, not to kind of gender assign, but like there's man spreading as a term for a reason, you know, men are taught it's okay to take up space and your comfort takes precedent over somebody beside you sometimes. And Mm -hmm. as women, we're taught to just deal with it. And so now, um, people like yourself are feeling a lot more empowered because you've gone through just the opposite of that and of disempowerment. Exactly. Exactly. And I think there's, there's so much value in this idea of understanding what it means and, and, and looks like behaviorally to take up space and figuring out, well, because it's such a subjective experience for women, uh, you know, what taking up space for me will look like will will look completely different from what it looks like for the next person. Sure. Um, and, and that's okay. We need to give ourselves permission for that to be okay, number one. But then number two, to understand, well, what, what do I want from this? And how can I create a sense of comfort in what it means to take up space? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's especially, you know, in my practice, when, I, when I'm working as a therapist, as well as when I'm working as a coach, you know, it, the second that I bring up this concept to my female clients, it, it, there's an instant visible physical, you know, shrinking away from it of, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. What does it mean if I do that? Am I, am I wrong or bad? Mm-hmm. If I if I take up more physical or figurative space, then the answer is, is always no, you're not doing anything wrong. You're actually doing everything exactly right. But how do we get there in the first place? I think it is such an important conversation for us to really take the time to understand. So it, I think it really begins with identity and understanding who you are and why you are and what you are and 
knowing how to kind of separate out those categories to be able to look at the moving parts that come together to create you as a whole. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really fascinating way to put it. I think of it in terms of confidence. So Mm -hmm. when you're just observing people walk into a room, you see someone that, you know, walks in with an air of confidence. They, they have this almost a glow about them. Yeah. And that's the type of person that people want to gravitate to. Mm-hmm. And at least their appearance and their energy convey that they're very confident in who they are. They know themselves. Um, and, and with that, it takes most of the level of anxiety away of, from them. And so they're able to be more present and interact with people. Then on the opposite, you might have somebody walk in that's very meek, their shoulders are shrunk down, they're looking down at the floor, they're not making eye contact, and you think, oh gosh, like this person, I'm just uneasy around them. And it's because they're uneasy with themselves. So um, that's kind of uh, a very simplified um, kind of dichotomy in in the way I I think about it is confidence or, or lack of thereof. For sure. And I, and I totally agree with those points. You know, I, I would want to back that up or, or deconstruct that a little bit rather mm-hmm. right? is probably a better way to say that. Sure. Of that. How do we get to the point of being, being able to move through the world in a really confident way It is really being able to create an identity that we feel proud of. So where, where I'd begin with all women around that is being able to understand the difference between your roles your labels, and then what it is to, to know your identity. So, and when we can really get a clear picture uh, concretely of what is included in each of those three categories, that's where our confidence begins to evolve out of. Uh, because at, for sure, you're a hundred percent right about, about what you said. It, it's just, where do we, where do we start that process to mm-hmm. grow the confidence so that we can move through the world in that way? Sure. So you're raising a young lady. So how do you approach this with her throughout her life? I know she's, she's very vivacious and not very shy. She sure is. So, <laughs> so how do you, how do you manage that? Because she's got a very strong personality she and, does. Yeah. you know, many parents would probably say, you know, be quiet, sit down, you know, don't make a scene. So mm-hmm. how how do you approach this with her in building her confidence when it's, um, I would say a little bit challenging as a parent? Yeah. So the, the first thing is really to, for, to teach her to understand the difference between what it is to be polite and use your manners, mm-hmm. but then to also step up and ask for exact, exactly what it is that you need in that moment. You know, so my expectation for her is use please and thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. It be kind and be considerate, but if you're thirsty, go get a glass of water or or go get go get yourself a drink. Ask specifically for what it is that you need. Uh, if she's hungry, you know the, the now we're on summer break from school. She'll be going into first grade in the fall, and so her bedtime is edged a little bit later, mm-hmm. week by week, as we've gotten into summer here. So the the other night she came tearing out of her room at like 9.30 at night saying that she had had a nightmare. We talked through it. And then uh, immediately after it was, mommy, I want a snack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of times we would say, well, no, it's nighttime, it's bedtime, you need to go to bed. And just shut that down. But 
you know, we talked through it and instead of shutting it down, we got to the point of, okay, she asked, she said, please. And thank you. She explained why she was hungry. Cause I think she's honestly going through a growth spurt right now. So she's eating mm-hmm. me out of house and home. Sure. Um, <laughs> and she had, she had a thing of yogurt and then she was good. She was happy and off to bed. She went, uh, it's also about, you know, I think understanding how to foster a lot of independence in her because there's times where she is absolutely very outgoing, very vivacious with a really strong will, which I love and it frustrates me all at, all at once. Um, <laughs> but then there's other times where she's literally glued to me because she's so shy about a new environment that she's in. So if we're in a new environment, I'm immediately looking at her as, I got you. I see you go explore. I'll be over here, yeah. but I'm watching you right to let her know you can go, you can test your limits. And if you're, if you're not sure, here's where I'm at. I'm always going to give you that safe spot to land in again. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So giving her the freedom to mm-hmm. be yourself and be a kid with yep. the safety and the support and the comfort of I'm your mom. I'm right here. Yep. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Good on you. Yeah. She's cool. <laughs> she is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so going back um, to your experience. So you kind of defined out three, uh, three periods of time. So uh, Kelly pre-marriage, mm-hmm. Kelly during marriage, Kelly post-marriage. Yeah. Who were those three people in terms of confidence, communication, speaking up? Um, speaking out, uh, speaking up for yourself and, and, you know, kind of the situation you were in. Sure. They were totally different. Mm-hmm. So pre-marriage, um, I had been working in EMS already for a few years and working in public safety kind of, it forces you to be a bit extroverted because you have to deal with the public and you need to be able to manage situations that you're walking into. So I had, I had really been able to step into a place of confidence simply from the perspective of I know how to speak up and use my voice. The challenge that I had at that period in, in my life was that, you know, I was still very young. I was in my early 20s and I did not have a lot of life or world experience um, aside from the very small, very sheltered bubble that I had gr- grown up in. And um, then the limited experience that I had had up to that point in public safety. Uh, so my boundaries sucked. They were awful. And, it, you know, I would let people come in and pretty much say what they wanted to me. And I would dismiss it and would think that it was okay because I really came from a place of naively not knowing any better. Then when I got into my marriage, my boundaries continued to be awful, which was absolutely a contributing factor to why the relationship ended up devolving to the place that it, that it got to. Uh, And my communication was extremely poor. I got to the point where I would bottle everything up inside because I just didn't want to have another argument. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to avoid the conflict. And I wanted to let everything be nice to have my little happy family And it would all be okay. Mm -hmm. But bottling everything up inside, along with a lack of boundaries, you know, got me out of touch, number one, with my voice and being able to have a space in the world. But then number two, 
gave him permission to begin to control, manipulate, and then abuse me. Sure. Exiting from that relationship, you know, there, as, as I think we've talked about on other episodes, there was certainly a, a significant period of needing to grieve. Um, but then really taking time, I, I like to call it that this was my period of time where I dated myself. Uh, and, it, you know, if we think about what it means to be in a relationship with somebody else, you're exploring who that person is. You're getting to know them. You're maybe getting to know their family. You're figuring out how to connect to them in safe and meaningful ways. So I needed to do that with me. So I dated myself for, gosh, probably about a good two years. And, you know, I, when I say I dated myself, I would go out on dates with, with guys. You know, I was not actively seeking a relationship, but just wanted to have nice connections with other people. Um, but the, the focus was always to come back to me and to reconnect with me and to continue to explore me. You know, I needed that period of time in my life in order to evolve into the woman that I like to say that I am today of somebody who's able to have really good boundaries and to speak up when it becomes important versus to, versus to, to be able to recognize how to also pick my battles and what's worth it versus what's not, but to move through the world in a way that feels so incredibly authentic without having to apologize for who that person is. And I think that's, that's the place to try to always strive for. And maybe that place is always evolving, which could be cool. Uh, or maybe we get there and that it's just juicy and delicious and we just want to live there for a while, which is also cool. Absolutely. I love that you that you describe it in the way that you did of dating yourself of you still interacted with other people. So it's not like you were a recluse for these two years. Right. Um, yep. But you got to know who you are. And I think that's so important because what I observe of people is we spend so much time trying to be who we think that people want us to be instead mm -hmm. of really focusing on our weirdness and our quirks and what makes us unique and different and sets us apart from our neighbor because at the end of the day we're still all the same you know we, we yep. have all the basic same needs to be heard to be seen to feel like we belong to something bigger than ourselves um etc and but what does that look like for each person I don't know that many people can can really articulate that and yeah. for you to spend that much time focused on yourself is is profound and I, I I'm sure you could write a book on what you learned about yourself during that period of time yeah you know and and I would encourage anybody coming out of a relationship that is either actively expiring or past tense expired mm -hmm. to take that time to really just reconnect with you you know it, it, when I sit in my therapy practice one of my favorite questions to ask my female clients is well who are you mm -hmm. and I a hundred percent of the time I get this dumbfounded look of, oh my God, I have no idea. We get so caught up in the, the daily grind, so to speak of, you know, all our roles, like I had said before, and then living out the labels that we think we're supposed to live without ever understanding, well, but where do, where do I want to exist in the middle of all of that? 
you know, if I take away the role of mom, well, Mm -hmm. okay, then where, who am I? What am I? You know, if I take away the role of therapist or coach, well, I still need to be Kelly somewhere in there too, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So to be able to take time to just reconnect to your humanness, to your vulnerabilities, like you said, to your quirks, uh, to your wants and needs, and to really understand You know, even at a foundation level, if all human beings share similar wants and needs, it's going to subjectively look different for each of us. And you need to know to be in order to be healthy, number one, for yourself, and then number two, to be healthy in a relationship, you need to know what you want that to look like. The other thing that that I really spent a lot of time exploring were what were my deal breakers and what were my terms for life? So when I say deal breakers, really what I mean is, you know, if somebody does this thing, whatever it ends up being inside of a relationship, this is when no matter how I feel about that person, I'm out Mm -hmm. because they just broke the deal of what they signed up for or what they said they would follow through on. You know, obviously a big one is going to be safety issues. Sure. But then another one is communication. And if a person is not consistently able or willing to, to communicate in healthy, clear, and adult ways in an adult relationship, that's really something that needs to be looked at. You know, and that was such a factor for me in my marriage that that has become a deal breaker, that if, if we can't communicate clearly and, and effectively with each other, then this is not something that's going to end up being healthy. Uh, And then, you know, when I say terms for life, it's really understanding, you know, deal breakers could be part of that, but it's bigger than just deal breakers. Terms for life is really, you know, what do I want out of my life in order to be able to say, when my time here is done, this has been absolutely epic, number one, and that number two, I have no regrets. I've done everything that I both needed and wanted to do. So defining terms for life, I think, is is a very untalked about topic, um, but a very important one. It definitely is, and it's it's fascinating that you um, that you put it in that way. Again, I, I'm always so interested in what you have to say because you have such a cool perspective on everything. Um, going back to communication and relationships, that's something I've had to work on myself. Um, mm-hmm. Similar to you described, I used to bottle things up because yeah. um, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to say anything that could upset the other person. So if, if something was done that I was uncomfortable with or I didn't like or that hurt my feelings or, you know, the list goes on, I would just not say anything and I would just let this bottle up. And then a few months later, I would explode, whether that was, you know, a, a a fight or a cry or a breakup, like whatever it was, it was just, um, this had been like kind of building under the surface and then it would explode out in some way. And so what I, what I really worked on in therapy a few years ago after, uh, after getting out of a, a similar relationship, um, to what you described is I, I did homework. I, I told my therapist going into it, I really like need homework. I need, to, mm-hmm. you know, assignments to journal things out and like lists to make. So I did all of that and I still have all of those um, journals. I'm pretty sure of um, what I bring to the table. What are yeah. red and green flags? What are deal breakers? You know, mm-hmm. red flags are 
red flags to, in in my view are are the deal breakers. But for some people, they just might be a, a strong warning about something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, what, what do I want out of life? What do I want in a relationship? Um, yeah. What do I want in my partner? You know, all of these things. And I think if, if more people took time to simply just think about it and, and maybe define it out like that, it would, um, we would have a lot more successful relationships happening because I just don't think enough of these deep things that we need as a, as a human interacting with another human get talked about or addressed and thinking about, you know, what kind of life do I want to live? That's, that's a really deep and broad question. Yeah. Because if you're somebody that wants to spend a lot of time at home, maybe gardening or reading or, or something like that, and then you, you meet this awesome person, but they need to, be traveling you know all mm-hmm. of the time and you hate to be on the airplane then that's obviously not going to work so I think right. that's important to and those are kind of extreme examples but I think that's important to uh, to talk about and to to know about other people because at the base of it all those are basic human needs of, of different people for sure and it, you know it we're we're edging into talking about more about relationships here but to to bring it back to to building confidence and mm-hmm. and knowing your voice and being being willing to take up space in a way that feels comfortable you know at, at a very basic level these are also just all things that it, you know sure we can apply them to relationships and absolutely we should but these are things that we need to apply to the relationships that we have with ourselves as individuals first. Absolutely. You know, and so like I had said, those first two years of being divorced, that's really the space that I just took time to sit in. And I, honest to God, I think that if I had not done that, that I never would have reconnected to parts of the woman that I was before being married, right. Who, did have a voice who could speak up for herself, but I also would not have evolved into this woman today who is going to have really good boundaries, who isn't going to take any shit and who, sorry for swearing. No, it's all good. (laughs) And who, who really like can stand confidently in saying, you know, I know who I am. Now let me look out to other women who are walking a similar path where I was and let me help guide them. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back around. I, I did kind of digress a little bit. It's all good. <laughs> um, it's all good. Yeah, I always think of things in terms of a relationship uh, with other folks. I don't know why. That's that's an yeah. interesting thing to think you know, about. I think it's easy to externalize these ideas because typically they are external. Like the, our relationships exist in our external world. And so that's... It's so concrete. That's the first place that our brains are going to go to as being able to think and process the concrete stuff, because that's the simplest for us to be able to kind of wrap our heads around. When we look at the, the internal process for all of this, you know, like I had said, the relationship that we have with ourselves, that's so much more abstract because you, you don't necessarily see it on a day-to-day basis the way that you're going to see something that's concretely right in front of you um you know it's it's as silly as this sounds it you know there's times when i'll just sit in my car i'm driving somewhere 
like today I have to, my daughter's with her dad for this weekend and I'm going to pick her up at four. Um, so it's a 45 minute drive to go get her. That's my thinking time. That's mm-hmm. my time to just sit and proverbially, not actually look in the mirror at me and check in with, okay, how am I feeling? How am I doing? Do I like, do I like what's going on in my life right now? And am I, am I living up to or living towards my terms? Am I fulfilling the things that I've said that I was going to go fulfill? And am I proud of that? Uh, you know, that's it. We all need that time to just have a little bit of space to really nurture the relationship that we have with ourselves. Because when we can come from a place of, of healthy, I'll call it self relationships, then we're going to be able to externalize that to the world, not only have healthy relationships with other people, but again, be able to move through the world in a way that really is that confident picture. Certainly. One thing I admire about you is how much you enjoy spending time by yourself and how well you utilize the time. Thanks. I I think that's something, I don't know if you have always done that or if it's something that you've learned um, kind of actively um, cultivated within within your your own life. But Mm -hmm. I I think that is so important to use driving time to to actively think about things. You know, I think a lot of people will use um, time in the car to make phone calls or um, you know, to be angry about sitting in traffic or something like that. But you, yeah. you purposefully use that time as, you know, a very productive thinking time. Sure. I, I just, I just really, <laughs> I really love when people do that. Because, yeah. I mean, it's 45 minutes. That's a long time. It is. You know? <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I would say that that's definitely, I've always had a degree of comfort being alone. Uh, I, I for sure would describe myself as an introvert uh, and it, or, or an extroverted introvert where mm-hmm. I like to work with people during my day, but I really relish being able to come home at night and just sit in the peace and quiet of, of my home or of whatever space that I'm in at the time. Uh, being, being at home is where I rest and recharge, which is so typical of of introverts. And that's totally cool versus extroverts who are going to rest and recharge when they're out and surrounded by people, Mm -hmm. you know, really being able to understand where we connect to our energy in the most effective and healthy ways matters so much again, for being able to have a healthy relationship with yourself you know, the older I get, I, I just recently turned 37. And the older I get, the more I'm understanding, this is what I need from myself for myself, in order to be a healthy individual, so that I can move through the world in a way that I feel good about. And, you know, that that alone time, you know, I, I said to somebody yesterday, the, the weekends that I have away from my daughter, I don't ever want time away from her because she's my kid and I love her. But especially as a single parent, I've realized it's okay to not want time away from her, but that I do need time away from her because that's my time to really just be Kelly for a little while sure. and not have to be mom. Absolutely. not have to be the therapist, not have mm-hmm. to be the coach. We, we need that time to just exist a little bit. Definitely. At the end of it all, we are the people 
that we spend the most time with. And mm-hmm. so we have to know who we are. Otherwise, we're just going to spend our time, our quote unquote free time or our alone time trying to fill it with something so we don't get bored. So we yeah. don't go inside our heads or, um, you know, whatever the, the coping mechanism there is. I had to learn. It's I love your um, that you brought up introvert and extrovert in the way that each recharges. I learned a, probably in my late 20s um, that I needed both. Um, mm-hmm. I need to both be around um, high vibrational sort of people that are really jazzed on life and really happy. And I also need... Uh, a, a significant amount of time by myself at home or, or just by myself. I mm-hmm. feel at home in most places. So um, to give home a physical address is, is a strange, uh, strange thought to me, but, sure. um, <laughs> um, but I learned um, that too much time alone, I start to feel very disconnected and, and a little bit depressed and I'll get inside a bubble and not want to go out. And so um, I also need to connect with, with people. So um, I think, I, I'm an ambivert, I think is the, um, the term, but yes, I, think most I was people, just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, before, um, before I went to therapy in my twenties also, I thought extroverts were people that were, um, kind of loud and, uh, kind of the center of attention sort of people and mm-hmm. introverts were quiet and meek and, you know, kind of wallflowers. And that's not at all true. It's, it's how we recharge and how we're energized is, exactly. is the definition. So I, um, that was very, that was very, um, it was kind of a pivotal moment for me when I, when I learned that because I'm a little bit more extroverted in a lot of situations, but I'm not loud or kind of the center of attention type of person. So, yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of people get really surprised when they hear me describe myself as an introvert because I don't sound like one, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, Fully, fully am. And so really just being able to understand where does your energy come from and how can you take really good care of that, I think is the most important piece to to understanding these terms. Absolutely. One of the defining things for my life was um, I was spending my weekends going out with some friends that really enjoy sports. And so Mm -hmm. I would go and, you know, sit at a sports bar on a Sunday afternoon while they watch sports and I would, you know, talk to people or be on my phone, but I hated it. I hated being in a bar and I hated being around loud crowds and I, and I'm not a sports fan. So, um, once I realized like why I would, I would, why I was going and why I would be frustrated once I got there, um, I just stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. And I started, um, actually, that's when I took the life coaching course. And that was around that time where I started really focusing on things that I enjoy on the weekend and not just going out for the sake of trying to feel a social need. So, um, it really, um, kind of made my, uh, I'll call it my, my evenings and weekend life kind of take off from there. What I love that you're describing in there too, though, is that there's a very clear and intentional exploration of you in, in being curious about, what do you enjoy? And then going to do those things. You know, so when, when we talk about connecting to ourselves and understanding who we are, there's so much joy and playfulness, I think, in, in being able to explore, well, what do I actually like? And what do I really want to do? And mm-hmm. how do I want to spend my time? And who do, who do I want to spend it with? You know, it's, it, I, I think it's exciting. And a lot of times I'll say to my clients, well, so 
how do you want to take good care of yourself? And they give me this kind of panicked look of, oh my God, I have no idea. And I have to give the right answer right now. <laughs> But I'll look at them and say, it's okay to not know. And it's so exciting to me that you don't know because the options literally are endless. It's just a matter of finding what's going to be the right fit for you. Absolutely. And there's no wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. For some people, it might be exploring hobbies, you know, mm-hmm. such as traditional ones like painting or quilting or woodworking or something like that. For other people, yeah. it might be taking weekend trips every weekend, they might find that they love going to explore their area where they live like a tourist or, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these things or networking or starting a side hustle, like whatever it is. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's a longer term question, not just an immediate answer sort of situation, because again, it goes into finding out who you are and what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy and what you're good at that you don't even know about. Right. And, you know, I, I would say to also give, give ourselves permission. You know, this idea of permission is so profound and it, it applies in so many different ways in our lives. But to give ourselves permission for that answer to continuously evolve. You know, who, who I am at 37 and what my interests are at 37 are totally different than what they were at 27 mm-hmm. or what they were at 17. And I I would hope and and expect of myself that the answer will be completely different when I'm 47. You know, if we are constantly evolving, it means that we are never really done exploring who we are and we're never really done, um, you know, giving ourselves permission to continue to grow and change. And there's, there's so much unknown that gets wrapped up that gets wrapped up into that, that people can end up avoiding because we fear the unknown, but to give yourself permission to lean into that in a way that feels exciting, that God, I I don't know what's next. And I'm so excited to figure it out. Absolutely. I don't know what's coming and I'm so excited to get surprised by what life has in store for me. It always gets better. Yeah. As we progress through life, that's something that, um, that's been a, a common theme I've been hearing and reading lately. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and I've always felt that way, but I think, um, I think now it, it's, it's got to mean something more. So uh, I've probably heard it five times in the last week from different podcasts and, and videos and things I've watched. So wow. I think it's cool that you bring that up too, because yeah. it always gets better. It does, you know, you know like... it, but it gets better with intention. Absolutely. You know, if we are intentionally and purposefully, leaning into the exploration of ourselves so that we can grow and evolve there. The possibilities are limitless. If we, if we, you know, stop the exploration and become stagnant, that's when we start to really struggle and then suffer under the weight of what we don't want versus pushing towards what does feel good. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I always think that it's fascinating when people, um, people in general, nobody specifically, but think they want to be 20 again, or they want to be 25 again. I Mm -hmm. do not like to me, like that was a period of survival. You know, I was broke. I didn't have a great job. Like um, I was fresh out of college. It was just about surviving and getting day to day. Mm -hmm. Now in my thirties, like life is so awesome. Like I know who I am a little bit more. There's always more to learn, of course. Sure. Um, you know, life isn't a struggle. It's very, um, 
it's very pleasing and, and exciting. And I think for some people, of course, maybe their 20s were the best times of their lives. But like, why was that? And what can we what can be done to to enjoy the present and where you are now and to have something to look forward to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that this goes back into a conversation of roles, labels, and identity. So um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to dig into that. Absolutely. Um, and really let the listeners know how to, how to differentiate each of these. So when, when I look at, lab- at roles it, first, that's, you know, if I ask somebody, well, who are you? You know, I asked a, a client on Friday this question, and the first place that she began was, well, I'm a mom and I'm a wife. That's cool that, that they matter. Those are important things, but those are roles. Mm-hmm. And typically, those are the first things that we connect to when we start trying to answer the question of, well, who am I? So the place that I would try to guide people to is understanding that as important as your roles are in your life, they are not your identity. Your roles are simply something that you do. You know, I would say being a mom is hands down the most important role in my life. Probably 85% of my life revolves around what it is to be a mother and to be shaping this, this tiny human. Uh, But it is not who I am. Being a mom is strictly something that I do. And the reason that I say it specifically that way is that who I am directly shapes what being a mom looks like. If I was a different kind of person, then being a mom would look different. So our roles are only ever something that we do. Then moving on to labels. Labels are the way that the world would describe us. Now, the the interesting part about labels is that there can be some crossover between labels and identity, but labels are the way that the world sees us. So if the world is starting to see authentic parts of your personality, like if you're a nurturing human being, that begins in your identity, but the world is going to see behavior patterns that reflect that and will label you as nurturing. So your identity can influence sometimes what those labels end up looking like, but labels are simply the way that the world will view us and describe us. When you make those two lists, and I would encourage people to physically write these out and make a list of each, everything that's left over that isn't on those lists, that's the identity piece. So it would be spirituality versus being religious. It would be um, your wants and needs, hopes and fears, your morals, your values, your beliefs, and your ethics. Um, what you feel are your strengths and weaknesses, you know, your quirks, um, maybe things that you were brought up inside of that directly shape who you are and how you move through the world, but that you want to do the exact opposite of, right? Like if you grew up in a home with an abusive parent, that's part of what shapes you. But if you're choosing intentionally to raise your own children in a very different kind of way, good on you first, but that's part of your identity of this is how I grew up and I'm intentionally choosing something different for myself. That's an identity piece because it, it means that this, you're presenting a, a part of who you are. Uh, so, you know, those three lists, and again, I, I'd encourage people to, to write these lists out specifically and separately 
and then really examine what's on there. How do you feel about each, each thing that's on those lists? And do you feel like it's complete? If it's incomplete for where you're at in your life right now, there's your opportunity and your invitation to go explore and play, date yourself for a while, um, and really just get in touch with who are you versus who are you becoming? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of information. <laughs> that is, I'm trying to think through it all. Um, yeah, I, again, I'm a big fan of homework and making lists because putting pen to paper um, engages the part of our brain that just kind of slows us down and makes us, it's, we write, we have to write, physically write very intentional and um it's very different than typing we Mm -hmm. most of us type very fast and we don't really have to think about it much but but physically writing down who you are who you want to be that is I think something everybody should do at some point or various points maybe once a year yeah if you're a person that was happy a year ago but now you're not in a place of happiness or joy or love or whatever feeling you want to um, be in then why not what's going on there yeah what changed yeah yeah what changed and what do you want to change Mm -hmm. yeah awesome good stuff yeah this is exciting stuff and you know if we like I've been saying if we give ourselves permission to just sit in a space of it's okay to not have the answer right now but I can and be I can be so intentional to go and explore this mm-hmm. and to allow for the the space of exploration this is where identity evolves out of and so that we can step into that person who is confident enough to go walk in a room and light it up and to move through the world knowing exactly who you are is so comforting and it's so peaceful because it's your like Marie Forleo will say being un- unfuckwithable, right? Like <laughs> yes. you, you are, you can't be touched yeah. because you are so sure of your identity that like, it's just, it's just it. Yeah. And to touch on the, the permissions point just a bit, I think mm-hmm. I always find this so fascinating I learned this really in, in my professional world to, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. You know, Mm. like if you see a problem, if you want to do something, if, you know, whatever the situation is, just go do it. In most cases, Um, nobody is going to um, have a problem with it. In fact, a lot of times those things are celebrated if for whatever if for whatever reason it was not the right thing then ask for forgiveness say look you know what I thought this was the right thing to do I'm sorry let's move on and in our personal lives that is absolutely endless because we're taught to to live in a certain way and it usually comes down from the habits and the culture of our family and what we learned as a kid and growing up of you know we have to eat dinner at seven o'clock well why what if you want to eat dinner at 630 what if you want to go out what if you want to fold towels a different way you know basic simple Mm -hmm. things like that we're taught and we never question why or is this the right thing for me or is this the right thing now you know can we change it from the way it was done 50 years ago so I think you know applying things very simply like that and then it goes into much larger things like um people that grow up thinking I have to be a doctor because this is what my parents expect me to be why what if you wanted to be an astronaut or an accountant or Mm -hmm. a teacher you know and to give ourselves permission to do something different than what's expected or 
whatever limitations we're putting on ourselves, I think is, is what the world needs because it's really, it's bringing out what we want to do versus what we think we have to do. For sure. You know, I think it's, it's always okay to deviate from what you've known to be the norm in order to define your own norm. You know, and when I, when I say give yourself permission, you know, that really the first thing that comes to my mind is to lean into being okay with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to try something new. Sure. You know, when I, when I say to women in my practice, give yourself permission to just, that this is just okay. You can, you can do this. They, they look at me with such a, a expression of fear of what I can. And then oftentimes they'll verbalize, well, I can't do that. No, that's, I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. And so I'll look at them and be like, well, but here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity to lean into the changes that you're talking about wanting to make in your life. But I'm going to give you permission that you can go do this, but you need to also give yourself permission that this is okay. And, you know, Maybe we'll break a little bit of a mold, but maybe the mold needs to be broken. Definitely. So usually it does. Yeah. Awesome. This has been a great, great information. You always have so much to offer and um, I can't wait to do more episodes with you. So I think um, next time we'll be talking about uh, what's going in and on our bodies. I think we've talked about that earlier, if that's cool with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we both have a lot of um, knowledge and experience with that. So I'm, I'm really excited about that one too. Um, That'd be cool. Cool. All right. Well, Kelly, where can people find you online? So I can be found at www.theunapologyproject.com. I can be found on Facebook as The Unapology Project and on Instagram as unapologetically.authentic. Awesome. And... I'll ask a a different question. Why should people look for you? What do you, what are you doing with that? And, um, and what should people come to you for? Well, my ego will tell you because I'm awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I believe that my superpower exists inside of helping women find their voice and do all of the things that we've, that we've been talking about today. You know, after, especially after having walked my own journey and having to figure this out on my own, you know, I don't think that women should have to be alone in this process. So I want to extend a hand and to say, okay, I did this. And now I figured out what I think is a really good answer. And I'd like to share that with you and to to help you figure out what this is going to look like for you. So um, I think that that's why people should find me. Absolutely. Rock on. I hope everybody does. Thanks. All right. Well, this is episode seven of the Live Good, Live Well podcast. And again, thank you, Kelly. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thank you so much.